there is going to be reverberations. There is going to be a reaction to that. And, and this is exactly uh, what I think we will face, uh, just like Japan is facing it now. It's the same exact problem. Same thing we saw in the bond market in the UK. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And once again, it is time to dig into the physical silver world for our regular Tuesday show with Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin. And with quite a bit happening since last week, we had the Fed release its uh, latest interest rate decision, which was a 25 basis point hike. Saw silver and gold go up a little bit that day, then get pummeled. The following morning, uh, been a bit of a volatile week since then as the market digests all that news. But um, Andy, it's great to have you back here again. And uh, a few things that we touched on last week, especially regarding the Sprott show and some of the speakers there looking forward to following up on. But most importantly, how are you doing today, my friend? Good to see you, brother. I'm doing well. Actually, I'm doing very well. And it's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, good to have you here, and uh, perhaps we could start with any thoughts on what the Fed actually had to say last week. I listened to Powell's press conference, and it didn't really seem like he was committing to saying that this is the last interest rate hike, a lot of dependent upon the data, and not the clearest message, or I don't know, I guess in some ways it was pretty clear where he's going to see how the data comes out and respond accordingly. I did not get the feeling that we've 100% seen the last hike, even if the futures market's pricing in that we have, but why don't we start there and any thoughts that you had, especially since you're at the Sprott conference when the announcement went down and curious what you thought and uh, how you and other people were reacting to it. You know, look, I mean, whatever they are doing, it's I, I don't know what what the Fed can really do with interest rates and how many banks are hanging on by a thread as rates continue to rise. And not only that, our national debt, which we're paying a higher interest rate on, continues to rise at a unsustainable path, uh, path, you know, you look at the debt, it's up $1.8 trillion since they raised the debt ceiling. It took us 209 years to add the first $1.8 trillion in debt. We just added another $1.8 trillion in debt in eight weeks. So how high can they continue to raise rates to combat inflation? Um, not sure. Uh, you know, he, he talks about continuing to uh, be vigilant uh, against inflation. But look, you know, when you have a, a $32 trillion debt and nearly $200 trillion in unfunded liabilities, it's going to start to break things, let alone a banking system that for the last decade has been leveraged up with a balance sheet filled with bonds and, and uh, mortgage-backed securities that have been cut in half. So, you know, I guess I, I believe that it would it would seem to me that the next step would be to pause. And if things really get bad, of course, many people believe that they will begin to ease again. That You know, that that's the whole premise of the inverted yield curve that we're going to see at some point the Fed capitulate, give in and start to ease again. Um, that's what the, the smart money thinks. I don't know how it plays out, but. 
you know, what the Fed really did wasn't much of anything. Another quarter, another quarter point didn't do a whole lot other than put more stress in a banking system that that really can't handle much more. And I wonder just how many of these banks are on life support. We got, uh, what, $100 billion, I think, in the, the short-term funding program, this emergency short-term funding program. But really the, the big one about, you know, that, that I would be focused on if I were the Fed is the commercial real estate. To me, it's a ticking time bomb. There's over 1.4 trillion in commercial real estate loans that mature this year and next. 70% of which is owned by the small banks and 61% of which is already delinquent. But what it's also doing, it's, you know, people are focusing on these regional banks and they should for good reason. But if you look at the money that's coming out of the big banks like Wells Fargo, like JP Morgan, it's well more than what we see coming out of the regional banks. This is the really smart money, the really big money that is sidestepping all of the bank's systemic risk and going directly to the Fed, buying their, their short-term treasuries uh, with, with, you know, with safety, which, which leads me to the question uh, on a completely different issue. Just saw uh, an interview where the, the um, executives at Silicon Valley Bank were being questioned by, by the House and they had $14 billion in 10 checking accounts that were in there for three years. Where the hell was the, uh, the compliance and the regulators? So where the hell was the risk management? Why keep $14 billion in 10 checking accounts over three years where you can risk total loss earning nothing in checking accounts when they could have been in treasuries earning 2% without the bank risk or the FDIC limit? There's a lot of things that are going on that, that don't make any sense right now, but certainly the banks are, whether it be the, the regional or the commercial banks are, despite what they tell us, seem to be on shaky ground. I mean, they said the banking system was just fine and yet we see another bank quietly fail Friday. Um, you know, I, I wonder is, is, is the Fed really just trying to figure out how they get out from between this rock and hard place. Now you're hearing talk of sidestepping the recession, that there'll be a soft landing. Look, the Fed hasn't been right in anything they've done or told us in a very long time. So this is just more of the same. If they really wanted to put an end to inflation, they would jack rates up even much higher than they're doing one or two or three points and immediately squash inflation. Of course, we know what that would do to the economy and to the banks and to the entire system. So you know, I don't put a whole lot of a whole lot of stock in it one way or the other. And quite frankly, I don't think there's a whole lot more that they can do on the upside without facing some real serious problems in, in the banking industry and, and in uh, commercial real estate in particular. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And certainly in the last couple of weeks, I've become a bit more concerned if we have rising energy prices towards the end of the year, which then you see some of those inflation numbers start going back a little higher and certainly not an ideal situation they're in, which I guess the easy answer would be to go back 10, 11, 12 years and not launch quantitative easing and lower interest rates to begin with, or do a lot of the things that have been done throughout the history that have led us to this point where now there is uh, no easy answer, although. But look at what the bank in Japan just had to do. They said they were going to normalize and stop 
you know, stop the the way that they were supporting their bond market. Uh, and and two days into it, they had to come back in and 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 you know reaccommodate and and buy bonds again to push interest rates down. The system through manipulation of interest rates has been massively distorted. The misallocations of capital and resources, the distortions in asset prices are something that will be next to impossible to back out of, to deleverage from without collapsing the entire system. This economy has grown addicted to easy money and low interest rates. And you try to go the other direction and there is going to be reverberations. There is going to be a reaction to that. And, and this is exactly uh, what I think we will face, uh, just like Japan is facing it now. It's the same exact problem. Same thing we saw in the bond market in the UK. They try to let rates rise. Everything starts to bust with the pensions. They have to come back in and, and, and you know, acquiesce to easing again. Uh, this is a problem when bankers control the interest rates instead of the market dictating it. And it's not even the controlling of the interest rates. It's the it's the byproduct of it. it's the result of it. It's the the uh, the distortion in asset prices and the inability to really know what assets are properly valued at in an environment of suppressed interest rates for such a long period of time, where the majority of all the money in the world has been created over the last several years, creating further distortion. So, trying to back out of it, trying to raise rates, trying to normalize will just create all sorts of, of, of problems as a result of this make-believe land of asset prices that have been massively distorted. Yeah, that is one of the problems that comes from what we've done over the past decade, where everything is a bit skewed, and then trying to unwind it obviously becomes a lot trickier as we are experiencing now. Although, Andy, something I wanted to follow up that we talked about last week, we were discussing the potential for a BRICS announcement of a gold-backed currency or otherwise at their August meeting. And you had mentioned that in the next day or so, you were going to hear Jim Rickard speak at the Sprott show, which we were at. And curious, I know you did get to hear him speak and, and that you also got to talk with him a bit. So perhaps you could fill us in with what he said and what he's still expecting there. Yeah, you know, and and my speech kind of dovetailed into his at the same time. And what I said in my speech somewhat echoed what he had to say. What I had to say was it doesn't matter if they issue a gold-backed currency um, on the 22nd. And people are focusing too much on the BRICS. Now, from me, that must sound kind of weird because it's been all I've talked about for the past two and a half years. However, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. The BRICS um, ultimately, I believe, will, will be the defining moment uh, or will be the, the catalyst, if you will, for uh, further and much more severe de-dollarization. But it won't happen on the 22nd, whether or whether or not they issue a gold-backed currency. I do believe that ultimately they will issue whether it be a commodity-backed currency or a gold-backed currency, and so does Jim, 100%. Whether it happens on the 22nd is debatable, and in my mind, it's irrelevant. But there were some other developments that he talked about that really mesh what I have been talking about for a long time and solidified my belief in a growing union. 
For a very long time, I've mentioned the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the Eurasian Economic Union in conjunction with the Belt Road Initiative and the BRICS. And the reason is that all of these countries are all tied together. Many of them are in a couple or three of the organizations. So when you talk about these entities, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization is, represents 60% of the Eurasian landmass and 40% of global GDP. It is the largest regional military and financial organization in the world. And you know it's the Chinese army amongst many other things. And when you look at the Eurasian Economic Union in conjunction with the Shanghai Cooperation Organization in conjunction with BRICS, add the Belt Road into it, you're at damn near 90% of human population. Uh, entities that are not going green. When you focus on the BRICS alone, you are only getting one half of the story. The growing coalition certainly makes the BRICS more powerful and makes them more formidable, but it is Saudi Arabia to me that is the linchpin of it all. You must speak of Saudi Arabia when you speak of uh, BRICS and of the massive ultimate de-dollarization. And to me, it is the linchpin of the dollar hegemony. And, you know, I, I have often said there will be that moment where, where, where uh, Saudi Arabia and OPEC, all of the OPEC countries being on the Belt Road, all of them, will issue a statement. And that will be something like this. Listen, you guys are going green by, you sign an executive order. By 2050, you plan to be completely green. Um, and look, we, we've partnered with uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, with the BRICS, with the Belt Road, um, with the Eurasian Economic Union, with the New Development Bank. We told everyone in Davos that we are gonna take other currencies. You've known this for a while, but why would you care? You're going green. The rest of the world is not. All of their pieces will be in place when they make this announcement, protection, agreements, all of these things. And when you realize they're being protected by what amounts to two of the three largest nuclear arsenals in the world, they become very formidable. GDPs, when put together, that are far greater than ours, becomes very formidable. When that announcement is made in conjunction with all of these countries who have unified in conjunction with the belief and realization that they will issue a commodity-backed currency, uh, and Saudi Arabia says, hey, we've decided to take the new BRICS settlement currency for oil purchases, or until the new BRICS currency is operational, we're going to take the yuan, which is immediately convertible into gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. You add Saudi Arabia to the BRICS and look at all of the countries who Saudi Arabia and organizations whom Saudi Arabia has already applied to, it becomes a whole lot more of an interesting story. And so, yes, I do believe the BRICS and their growing coalition of countries is a very big deal. But when you add these other countries to it and bring Saudi Arabia into the picture, it becomes a massive deal. You know, one of the things that people are talking about is that the BRICS currency will be listed as a settlement currency. And I agree with that. Jim made the distinction of what the difference is between a settlement currency and a reserve currency, and it is a bond market. And he goes back to World War I, when they had a drive to buy World War I bonds to support the troops. And when I was a young kid, I remember a picture in my parents' uh, um, basement of a kid holding his dad's baseball glove with a tear running down his face. It said, buy World War I bonds, support the troops. 
it was the patriotism and an effort like supporting the troops and this massive deal that built our bond market. Well, you know, Rickards is saying, look, you issue a commodity-backed currency where eight or nine out of 10 people in the world are, are, are coalescing to, there is your patriotism to, to issue a bond market to break free of the Western hegemony. There's your rallying cry. He surmises they will issue a bond market at some point, but even if it's just a settlement currency for a year or two, how much settlement moving away from the dollar in oil and in energy, and look at Brazil, they're selling their corn, second largest corn producer in the world to China and Yuan now. Look at France buying liquid natural gas from Qatar, paying in Yuan. How many of these settlements around the world that always were in dollars that are not anymore, at what point does it start to erode the value of a reserve currency? Look at the bond market. Last year, I mean, everyone got their ass kicked in the bond market. So the bond market hasn't been very friendly over the last year and a half to those holding it, and the dollar is being inflated. And when you talk about nearly $200 trillion in debt, a country that said they're going green, why would they want to sell their oil in dollars when the bond market is, is shaky at best, when, when the currency will be inflated to, to, to pay off all of this debt that we have, or they default, uh, and, you know, we have done much to make the rest of the world through weaponizing of the dollar think, hey, is it really wise to hitch your wagon to the dollar? If, if you end up on the wrong side of their policy, they pull the rug out from underneath you. So you put all of this together, it doesn't matter what happens the 22nd. What you take away from it is that two of these massive organizations are growing together with the BRICS and the Belt Road and the majority of human population is moving into this de-dollarization trend and theme. And while the world won't change overnight on the 22nd, it's the game of Jenga, piece by piece by piece by piece. It's called logarithmic decay, little by little, then all at once. That's how Hemingway went broke. It's like slowly going down and realize you're hitting a waterfall and off you go. When, where are we in that path? Are we just starting up on top? Or are we near the waterfall? I don't know. But I don't think August 22nd will be that delineation where, where, we, where we figure it out. I just think it's another massive piece in what is a growing list and litany of countries and of reasons to move against the Western hegemony. So, you know, I don't think it has to come out the 22nd. That's what they're going to do. Ultimately, they will. And um, to me, it's the coalition of these countries. That, and, and that was the big thing that I took away from what he said, that uh, is something we can expect on the 22nd. Yeah, and certainly it's something that we've seen building, not, not even just the past couple of years, but past couple of decades. And again, we had uh, Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi talk about doing things outside of the dollar. And seems like it did not go so well for those plans yet in a different uh, environment now where stunning some of the things that happen today that you couldn't have imagined that happening years ago. So, well, yeah, I mean, look, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization just formally, formally welcomed Iran into the fold. And that's how they're going to escape sanctions. I mean, you know, they're going to sell their oil to the folks in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization for 
for for gold or for a currency that's convertible into gold. It was Alistair McLeod who came out and said he believes the Shanghai Cooperation Organization intends to issue a gold-backed settlement currency for the entire Eurasian continent. So look, the fact that gold is tier one and revalued, the fact that the countries keep buying it, the central banks keep buying it, repatriating it, um, gold will have a role in what comes next. Will it be announced on the 22nd? Maybe. But when you see all of these countries and even those countries whom the U.S. has tried their best to sanction and to to bully using the SWIFT system, what is the common thread in what all of these current countries are doing? They're building uh, a, a, a highway, a, a system, if you will, away from the SWIFT system. And even their project M-Bridge, as in money, m that was designed by China and the United Arab Emirates and I think Singapore, I'm not positive the third country, but anyways, it, it's a way for all of these countries who issued their own CBDC first to trade with one another, sidestepping SWIFT. It is a common bridge to go from one CBDC to the next. They're all gonna issue their own CBDC and there's gonna be a BRICS currency at some point that they will use for settlement and for trade. But all of these things are, are pulling pieces of the Jenga tower out from the U.S. hegemony. And, and that's what you need to take away from this, that this, this, this trend is growing and gaining credibility, and it is, graining, it is gaining uh, mass and acceptance, and it's something to not be taken lightly as far as I'm concerned. Well, certainly a big shift in the world, and, you know, I... I know there's some people who say, uh, is, is, is this worth focusing on so much? And I get it. It's not the only thing happening out there, but when you, you see the forces that are in play there, it's certainly something that I think people would be wise to keep an eye on. Not that that's going to change the globe tonight or tomorrow, but, um, yeah, I think it is something, I think it is something to focus on so much and it brings me to a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. People in this country have a way too short of a memory, way too much in recency and normalcy bias. And you get your ass kicked for that when the switch gets flipped. And if you don't see the macro, then you're dead in the water. Yeah, the micro, the rustling leaves of the trees, or do you see the forest? Maybe you see both. It is something to focus on because the trend is accelerating. And if you're one second late when the switch gets flipped, you're done. And so, yes, you can focus on the here and the now, and you can focus on opportunities or issues or problems or whatever it may be in the here and now. But if you get distracted by the rustling leaves in the here and the now, and you miss out on what is happening on a very large scale, yeah, you may be, may be okay today and for the next few weeks or months or years, but when that switch gets flipped, Everything that we know to be true in this country can change in the blink of an eye when the rest of the world has no longer any need for the dollar. You see a moment like Mike Adams talks about, Operation Sandman, where he believes that 150 or 60 countries have already agreed at some point to flip the switch and dump dollars simultaneously at the same time. If something like that were to happen, yeah, you will be glad that people like me and you focused on this ad nauseum and you know, certainly I understand, and that's why I, I, I'm talking about the, the debt and how we've added and, and what's going on in the markets today and with the Fed and inflation and all of these things. Yeah, they're important. 
But what is the ramifications of it all? You know, you can talk about what's happening inside this country with our country's obsession with transgenderism and cancel culture and, and censoring, where I'd come on your show two years ago, couldn't say, uh, you know, the president's son or the Cerveza sickness, or you'd get your channel stripped. Those things, little by little, then all at once, it's now shoved in our face again. Or the way that the law is being applied. Is it being applied equally? Is the Justice Department and the FBI looking at things equally? Have they been weaponized? I don't know. Have they? But all of these things do not think are lost on the rest of the world. The erosion of confidence where people tied together rafts with string and floated across the ocean to find a better life. Are those things really viewed the same way that they once were around the world? The reason to come to the dollar was stability, was faith, was credit. What credit do we have? We're 200 trillion uh, in debt. The Federal Reserve is technically insolvent and continuing to become more insolvent by the day. And so when you talk about what it was that made this country what it is, I wonder, does the world look at things the same way that they once did? So, yeah, I think it is important. I think it's very important. And quite frankly, I think it's more important than the daily gyrations. But I, I will acquiesce and say, hey, they're relevant. We should talk about them, too. But my focus is two miles down the road, knowing that eventually we get there. And when we do, what happens? And if you're not prepared, you're dead, period. That's the way I look at it. Right, wrong, or indifferent, I've stood by my thesis for, for three years. And yes, I say the same thing over and over and over again. But hey, to me, it, it, it bears beating people over the head with it. And, you know, yeah, we can talk about silver. There's a massive silverware, a silver whale on Comex who has 50 million ounces in contracts on the long side. Is he going to take delivery? It's in the others category. It's not a commercial bank. It's not a managed money. It's the others, the ones who have been draining Comex all these years. You know, we saw 200,000 ounces come out of, of GLD last week. 1.5 million ounces of silver come out of SLV last week. Where's that going? Who's taking that? There are things that are happening, but it makes me believe it's part of a bigger picture. As Ted Butler would say, he said the metal is being sent to places more of more urgent need as opposed to plain vanilla investor liquidation. So yeah, all of these things fit into a bigger picture. And that, to me, is my fixation, I guess, right, wrong, or indifferent. Yeah, well, I hear you. Certainly a lot going on there. And we actually did have another interesting development. Fortunately, this one a, a bit more positive. We had the U.S. Mint finally increase the production of the American Eagles. And I was wondering if you could touch on that and how that actually will impact people now. Yeah, well, they said they're going to double production into November. And the premiums have come way down. Um, it's going to impact people in the respect that they'll be able to buy Silver Eagles for the first time in almost four years at a reasonable price. And, you know, what it's really done, it's crushed a lot of companies like, like mine who held 100,000 ounces at over $9 an ounce all-in cost. And, of course, that's part of doing business uh, where – something can happen where the premiums come down. And it's really very interesting, whether you're talking the U.S. Mint, who's ramped up production, and maybe maybe it was, you know, maybe it was the fact that Pixweer put that, that interview out with, where the head of the Mint or the head of the Eagle program admitted that he was told to, to 
produce as few as possible without creating public outcry, where they, the primary distributors were given a third of what they demanded. And maybe there's enough pushback on that where they actually came out and are doubling production into November. But even if they do that, look, they've, they've only been making what will appear to be somewhere between 12 and 15 million ounces this year. So if they double for what, four months, add a, a million ounces, two million, it's not gonna be a massive, massive amount. But I will tell you that the premiums have, have collapsed and they're reasonable now and makes me think of accumulating them in one week you know, they fell $4 an ounce, almost $5 an ounce in one week. So that's something I've never seen before, ever. And uh, quite frankly, you know, I don't know where they will stop, but it seems that the premiums across the board on everything else have pretty much leveled out and aren't going any lower. The Silver Eagle, I could see falling a little bit more, but even if you look at something like the five ounce, the America, the beautiful, the bid prices on those are north of $10, the bid prices. So anything that's come out of the US Mint really in silver or platinum has been incredibly inefficient and has massive premiums. The uh, the Eagle right now is, has corrected and people looking to buy them, it's not a bad time to do it. Okay, and you mentioned in there also that the Premiums outside of the Eagles, though, have finally started to level off. Uh, obviously, we've talked, uh, well, I mean, last week, and you were gone for a couple of weeks before that. But the last month or two, that premiums have been coming in. And so that has subsided a little bit over the past week. It has. And it's interesting because you listen to Ted Butler, and he'll tell you there's a massive shortage in wholesale thousand ounce bars. Uh, on Comex and the bleed down off the LBMA and Comex in particular is making it making it so that, you know, there is a big shortage, but yet it's the most flush the retail market has been uh, since 2020. Now, does that ultimately trickle down into the retail market? Sure, absolutely could. If the bank on Friday night, <clears throat> U.S. Bank Heartland, had failed and been bailed in, as I expect we will see, Look, there's over a trillion dollars worth of commercial real estate loans that have to be reset this year and next. 70% of which are owned by the, 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 the regional banks. 60% are delinquent. What happens when, when some of these banks go upside down? When these small businesses, of which these regional banks hold 70% of the loans, go upside down and walk away from these non-recourse commercial loans? And these banks go upside down and these banks get bailed in. How fast will that change? It'll happen overnight. We added 14,000 clients in March and April in 45 days when the banks failed and they were bailed out and they're not supposed to be bailed out. The law in the Dodd-Frank Act said they're supposed to be bailed in. At what point do these banks stop cannibalizing the smaller banks because their balance sheets become too big? I mentioned to you the other day that when the Bank of California bought PacWest, my buddy, my buddy's best, my buddy's brother is way high up in JP Morgan. He's very close to Jamie Dimon. He's one of their lead analysts. He had been working all week, night and day on that deal. I don't ever remember seeing JP Morgan in it, but they did. They took over all of their mortgages, the good ones, I'm sure. The point is, at what point do these consolidations turn into bail-ins? And what will be the ramifications then? And that's what I mean about recency bias and normalcy bias. I mean, three of the four largest bank failures in the history of this country 
happen get papered over and the sun comes out and everyone thinks it's safe to get back into the water and they forget about it gold comes uh the premiums come down the demand weakens the point of it is is that i think that you know we're not out of the woods even by a, a long shot yet and these premiums are as attractive and, and quite frankly shockingly attractive to me i can't believe how far they've come down in an environment where they shouldn't have come down, where people should have woken up by now. But it just goes to show that, yes, there's been a growing expansion into the hard asset community, but most of the people out there still have not been jarred into realizing what precious metals represent, even though you got a whale trader holding 50 million ounces long in, in silver uh, contracts, where the central banks are buying more gold than at any time in history and all of this chaos is around us, people still think that the road to retirement is paved only with dollars and mutual funds and stock certificates. And, you know, I, I don't know when they'll wake up or, or what will happen when they do. But if you do see an event, those premiums will go right back to where they were. This is as good of a buying opportunity as I've seen literally in, in, in almost four years. And, and I, I mean that 100% to my soul. All righty. And Andy, we did have a viewer question coming this week. So hoping you could touch on this one. Uh, someone was asking mm -hmm. about need or considerations of newly graded Silver Eagles in regards to security and making transactions easier if someone's going to a local coin shop or a private sale. Uh, and I think you, you talked uh, about that a little bit back when you were together with Bill Holter when we were on the show, but anything you could touch on there? I think what he's getting at is, is the fact if you have an American Eagle more easy to recognize if you're doing some sort of barter as opposed to a different type of ounce or generic round, which you have some concern, is this legitimate silver product? You know, typically the companies that sell certified uh, PCGS NGC Silver Eagles are scamming the public. They are give, turning uh, something that should not have a story into a story. Um, I understand the question. I get it. I mean, I've seen fake PCGS holders too. Uh, it's valid. It's a valid concern. It's a valid question. But look, silver and gold have been money for 6,000 years because it's very difficult to, to mask the way that they feel, the density, the feel, the weight, all of these things. You deal with reputable companies, you know, any of the major companies out there, uh, you won't have a problem with authenticity and liquidity uh, if you... Uh, buy things uh, on maybe on eBay or Craigslist or at, at pawn shops or whatever, I suppose. But I mean, the truth of it is, in all of the years I've done this and over 9 billion in sales, I don't know that I've ever seen more than two fake items my entire career. So it's not as pervasive as people would, would have you believe. Um, I will say this. I mean, there are some idiots out there who, who that might help. Case in point, I sold someone a sealed mint box of 2023 Australian kangaroos, brand new, in a box, um, never been opened. Took out a tube and brought them to a, a pawn shop uh, slash gun shop. They sell coins and guns, and they tried to say that they weren't real. 
and which is something I couldn't even believe. And of course, uh, I we took them back and under camera showed him indeed that they were real. But the point of it is, is that, yeah, you're always going to have some people who will question it. That's just the way it goes. But it represents the exception to the rule. I would not spend the money to buy certified coins and pay, in essence, two to three times what you can buy a regular Silver Eagle for. Buy them from reputable, reputable companies. Buy them in sealed boxes if you can. And if not, you know, keep your paperwork. Do anything you can to enhance the legitimacy. But I don't worry about that so much. And, and I think the companies that tell you to buy those certified coins are trying to instill, instill fear in the public to make them buy them so that they can sell them at a very large premium where they make four, five, six, seven, eight dollars a coin instead of 75, 50, 75 cents a coin. It's a big difference. All righty. Well, appreciate that. And perhaps as we wrap up, uh, anything on special this week that people should know about? Just about everything is on special. We are specialing. Uh, and I hate to even say this on your show, we are specialing uh, one tenth ounce, 2023 one tenth ounce gold eagles at $37.50 over the melt value. And, you know, for people who want barter, this is the only thing I would ever buy if I weren't buying silver. You know, a lot of people who listen to this show probably have been buying silver forever, may not own much in the way of gold. The one tenth ounce gold eagle of every coin I've ever sold across the board, numismatic or not, is maybe the only coin that has always maintained a significant premium above its melt value, buy or sell. They are made in tiny quantities. They are hugely demanded. And I figured I'd, I'd switch it up a little bit. The one tenth ounce gold eagle, 37.50 over spot. Of course, you divide that by 10. Over its melt value is an easier way to do it. Take the price of gold, divide it by 10, add 37.50. They're 2023. 20, they are brand new. But look, anything from silver eagles to, to junk silver to silver rounds to silver bars, they're the lowest I've sold them for in over four years. Same thing is true with every company out there. Everything is on sale. But in particular today, the one tenth ounce gold eagle, I have hardly done any gold in three years because silver is the best value. It still is. But I wouldn't count gold out either. And to put a little allocation into some small barterable gold coins, not a bad idea. If you want silver, we have tons of it at really great prices, whatever you're looking for. All righty. And if people have questions about any of that or any of the other topics that we discussed, you can email Arcadia at milesfranklin.com. With that said, Andy, appreciate you joining me as always this week for our talk into the physical metals market and some of the geopolitical events that are happening out there as well and thanks again for making some time and we'll look forward to catching up again next week i will always be here chris and you got to keep doing what you're doing man you're making a difference in a world that people need to understand what's happening and you are the news people like you are the news and if all you do if you consider yourself well read and all you do is read the mainstream and watch the mainstream you're reading the wrong stuff so i've learned more from you than I have from any any news station. And I, I think people really need to, uh, to understand how important it is to keep abreast of the things that you're talking about on, with all of your, your guests and all of your people, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, Rafi and, and uh, Vince and all of the people who are, who are, you know, getting the information out there. And so I'm honored to be here and I wouldn't miss it every Tuesday. So I'll uh, look forward to seeing you next week.